Abrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I pray that as we open up your word today, that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it will be your word heard, your heart received, that nothing of me will be involved except that which you have ordained specifically for this purpose. Lord, I pray that you will encourage us and lift us up so that as we leave this place today, we will leave here changed and transformed, ready to be used by you for the good of your kingdom moving forward. V'shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. And everyone says, Amen. So this week we're in Parsha Naso, and uh, you may notice that uh, if you have a traditional uh, a Jewish calendar from you know, the, the uh, rest of Judaism, from traditional Judaism, that uh, the Parsha for today is not listed as Parsha Naso. That's because today is in most of the rest of Judaism considered the second day of Shavuot. Um, which biblically doesn't exist. Uh, no harm, no foul to people that keep it. It doesn't hurt my feelings at all. One extra day to focus on something like the giving of the Torah and the outpouring of the Ruach is not a bad thing at all, uh, but it's not biblical. And uh, so generally speaking, the rest of the Jewish world is reading a, uh, a special Parsha specifically for the Shabbat, uh, the second day of, uh, of, of Shavuot. Um, and uh, so we are moving a little forward. We're going to Parsha Naso, which the rest of the Jewish world will be reading next week. And in about four weeks, we will catch up again and be back in alignment as we hit the next double Parsha, which for us will split out and be two single Parsha. And for the rest of the Jewish world, will be a double Parsha. And then from there, we'll be back uh, on track. Um, this is, and, and, and here's the truth about it. Generally speaking, uh, just for the sake of convenience, in our Torah service, we would normally follow whatever the rest of the Jewish world is doing on these special days like this, uh, but I kind of got ahead of myself and forgot about it um, and rolled with Parsha Naso when I put together the bulletin last week and thought, eh, what the heck, let's go with it. It'll be okay. Uh, <laughs> so if you have your scriptures, I want to ask you to go ahead and open up to Numbers chapter 5 as uh, we prepare to dig into the Word. As I said this week, we're reading Parsha Naso, which is Numbers 421 through 789, and uh, you'll notice that there's a lot of really interesting things in this parasha, particularly uh, about the middle of Numbers 5, where it deals with the jealousy ritual uh, of if a husband is jealous of his wife and thinks that she is cheating on him, he takes her before the priest, and there's this whole really weird like scenario that plays out where the, the priest is supposed to take a bunch of stuff and throw it in this water and she's got to drink it. It'll, if she committed the sin uh, that he's jealous of, her stomach will bloat and she won't be able to have children and whatever. It's really, really weird. Uh, as a matter of fact, we talked about it in depth in a message a couple, uh, maybe last year or year before last, so feel free to go back to the podcast and listen a little bit on there. Um, it's really interesting to see that, and as I said earlier, there's a lot of things like this, like capital punishment and stuff throughout the Torah that we never actually read about it occurring because it was one of those things that you really didn't need to know how bad it could get if you were smart enough just to listen to God. Uh, and so we don't read about this, just like we don't read about a wayward son getting stoned to death because all it takes is enough people to go, hey, I don't want to risk that. That's, that sounds terrible. Um, so that's one of the weird things in this week's Parsha. Uh, there's a lot of meat. There's a lot of really interesting connection there in terms of our relationship with the Lord and that connection to, for instance, Hosea, uh, as we talked, I think, last week, Hosea uh, and the idea of the... Uh, the, the um, prophet going and marrying a prostitute by the the leading of the lord and her leaving him eventually and going back to prostitution and him bringing her back and the idea that that is 
kind of this portrayal of our relationship with the Lord or the nation of Israel's relationship with the Lord that we're betrothed, we're married to him, but we keep going after other gods and he is a very jealous uh, God for his people and yearns and pa has passion for us. And so there's some really neat connective tissue there. But we're going to focus on something a little different today. We're going to focus on a few verses before the jealousy ritual, um, beginning with uh, verse 5 of Numbers chapter 5. Now, before we dive into it, I don't like to put a lot of stock in the idea of these uh, section headers in our Bibles, uh, but the Tree of Life version has a really neat section header right before this at the beginning of chapter 5. If you have a Tree of Life version, you open up to chapter 5 of Numbers, you'll notice that it says that this, is the, uh, the, this section is about purity in the camp. Right? And it's a really important thing to think about. It's a really important thing to hold on to because the reality is, is that's exactly what we're going to be dealing with here. And it's an overarching narrative throughout the Torah and realistically throughout the body of Messiah, I mean, sorry, the Bible as a whole, that the idea that the people of God, there must be purity, there must be righteousness, there must be holiness within the reality of what we're doing. So one of the most important concepts throughout the Torah is the health and the wellness of the community. And you'll, you'll see a lot of our stuff here at Congregation Maim Chaim that when we write out the word community, when we, if you have your bulletin, it's probably in there somewhere. When we write out the word community, we, we intentionally have the first few letters, the C-O-M-M, -M, lowercase. And then the word unity at the tail end of that is all caps, right? Because our focus here as a community is to be in unity, is to be completely unified together. And so as we look at the Torah and, and, and overwhelming aspects of the Torah, we see that one of the primary ideas is health and wellness of the community so that we can be in unity together. And this means not just a physical uh, wellness as in whether or not we're healthy, but it also means emotional, mental, and spiritual health of the individual and of the community together. And oddly enough, our individual health, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, what have you, can drastically and dramatically affect the health of the greater community as well, which is something we see the Lord talk about throughout the Torah. As we talk about here at CMC, often one of the worst possible things for the health of a community is division and disunity, which often begins with strife. Right? And strife is when we have something against another because of some perceived or actual uh, wrongdoing. And so we have these, these kind of emotional or, or mental battles with people. We have these hurts that we hold against folks and over folks. And so the, the reality is that division and disunity is kind of the complete opposite of what God looks for in the people of God, what God looks for in the body of Messiah, what he was looking for in the nation of Israel. He wanted us to be united, to be amechad, to be one people. And often we allow division and disunity based out of strife to ruin what the Lord is doing. And so as we move forward talking about uh, this week's Parsha and talking about this message, I want you to keep in mind this question. In God's community, in the body of Messiah, what is more important, restoration or retribution? Because a lot of times that's kind of our mentality is retribution, right? Somebody does something wrong against us and we either want to just knock the mess out of them. We want somebody else that we want them to run in front of a bus. We want something crazy to happen to them that makes them no longer our problems. But the reality is, is in the community, in the body of Messiah, what is more important, restoration or retribution? In Numbers chapter 5, beginning with verse 5, it says, Adonai spoke to Moses saying, Say to B'nai Israel, to the children of Israel, whenever a man or a woman commits any sins against any person, thus breaking faith with Adonai, that soul bears guilt. Notice right out the gate. When any man or any woman commits sin, thus breaking faith, with Adonai. 
That person, verse 7, is, the, is to confess the sin he has committed, make full restitution for his wrong, and one add one-fifth to it and give it to the one he wronged. But if that person has no close relative to whom to pay the restitution, the restitution belongs to Adonai. It is to be given to the Kohen along with the ram of atonement with which he is to make atonement for himself. So notice he says, whenever you do something against another person in the community, against any other person, you must make restitution, you must confess your sin, and you must seek for the disunity and the division that has been caused by that act to be brought together again cohesively into a restored relationship. Notice that the core of the message here is, in fact, restoration. And as we see throughout the Bible, this is the overwhelming yearning of the heart of God is restoration. It goes all the way back to creation. It goes all the way back to the fall of Adam and Eve. When God created Adam and Eve, he created them to be perfect. He created them to reside and to live in his presence. And yet we chose sin and we chose to be separated, divided, and disunified with God. And everything that he has done since the foundations of creation, since before the first word of creation was spoken, since before the first let there be light was solely for the purpose of restoration, bringing a restoration between his creation and he as the creator. This isn't a discussion uh, to, uh, of how uh, we can make sure we return somebody's stuff as much as it is how it is that we're able to restore relationship with people, right? So we see in, in Numbers 5, it says when you've done something wrong to somebody, and the idea is that maybe you've stolen their ox or you've you know, decided that they didn't need the will on their wagon quite as much as you did, so you went and snatched the will off their wagon and put it on yours or uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the copper wiring in their AC unit or the, I'm trying to kind of modernize this, discussion a little bit or you know somebody uh, they, they didn't need their wills on their car so you conveniently shoved some cinder blocks under there and, and took off with their wills because you thought you could use them better it's not necessarily talking about specifically the, the necessity to restore their stuff although that's a part of it and if you pay attention to it when you wrong somebody and take their stuff you're supposed to add two and a fifth more on top of that right and it's so it's not just this idea of restoring their stuff to them but it's actually restoring that relationship. It's, it's restoring that connection, that the, the family mindset. And it's because this ultimately has to do with the health of the community. It has to do with the restoration of the health of the community. How many have seen Fiddler on the Roof? Anybody seen Fiddler on the Roof? It's one of my favorite movies. Um, I, I think as an American Jew, it's kind of a, a natural obligation that it's one of our favorite movies. Um, but it, it is. It's one of my favorite movies. And, and in Fiddler on the Roof, at the very beginning of the movie, you see uh, Reptevia talking about this horse, right? There was this deal between two of the, the citizens in their town uh, in which one sold somebody a horse, and he thought it was this, like, prized possession racehorse kind of a thing, but it ended up being this limp, game, uh, uh, gimping horse that couldn't really do anything worth it. It was a waste of time. It was old. It was near death, whatever. And they're going back and forth, back and forth arguing over it and you see Reptevia say oh yes you were right oh you too are right and you too are right uh, and as we're looking through this we see the the pain and the anguish that something as simple as two dudes having an argument over a horse can have on the totality of the unity of the community because now all of a sudden in the very opening scene in the movie every single person in the community is at each other's throats over this horse and 99% of them had nothing to do with the deal in the first place but we can see the way that this wrongdoing, the way that this, this uh, lie or fib or whatever, the hurts that have been caused by this deal has actually affected the overall health 
of the community as a whole. And so it's important as we look at Numbers 5, this idea of restitution, it's not for the sake of giving people their property back as much as it is for the sake of restoring relationship so that the community is healthy, both physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. We must go out of our way at all times to forgive and to seek restoration. And restoration should be the primary thought when we seek forgiveness or when we are looking to forgive somebody else. It shouldn't be, oh, I'm going to forgive and forget and walk on and go do my own thing. But the goal should always be restoration. And we'll find out in a little bit that's not necessarily always possible. But the, the goal of forgiveness or seeking forgiveness should always be restoration. The health of our communities require it. If I am mad at Lynn, I'm going to pick on Lynn for a minute. If I'm mad at Lynn uh, eh, eh, over whatever, you know, he's you know, stepped on my toes or uh, uh, <laughs> we get... Yeah, we, we just painted this wall. I'll flip the tables around. We just painted this wall, right? Lynn, Lynn doesn't like me painting in the synagogue because I'm not good at it, and he tends to have to do three times as much work fixing what I did wrong on top of what he's already doing right. Um, but nonetheless, I do it anyways. So uh, we were in painting this wall behind me, right? And, uh, and a few days later, I came back in to try and, and take care of something. Oh, we had broken the HDMI cable, putting this TV back up. And so I had to come in, and, and Nick came and helped me, and we had to rerun uh, an HDMI cable back over to, to this TV to get a working cable in there. And, and in doing so and trying to put the TV back up, I accidentally brushed my foot against the wall and kind of messed up a little bit of the paint. And I sent Lynn a text and said, hey, uh, you're going to hate me, but um, there's now a spot you got to touch up on this wall. So if Lynn had gotten angry at me over that, right? Lynn is not only our, our worship director, one of the worship leaders, but he's also one of the elders of the congregation. Uh, if Lynn had gotten mad at me over that, and it really hurt his feelings, it really caused him anguish and, and disdain against me and, and what have you, there's a necessity for him to come and approach me. There's a necessity for him to come to me and seek out the restoration of that relationship. In the same sense, there's a necessity of me being the one who caused the issue to seek him out, to seek restoration and forgiveness, to approach him and ask him to forgive me for that mistake, or else in not dealing with it. And a lot of us, especially in America, we have this Western mindset of just let it go, it'll be okay, maybe it'll work itself out on its own. And what we realize is three years down the road, five years down the road, 15 years down the road, road, we become more and more and more angry. We become uh, Dennis the Menace's neighbor who's always angry about everything, right? And, and it becomes this reality for us that we're just constantly angry about stuff and especially at other people. And it begins to damage and destroy and bring wreckage on the community and the health of the community that we're to be a part of. It opens up, more importantly, the door for the enemy to take up uh, root and, and ground in our lives. It allows for the enemy to have a, a, a window of opportunity to attack us and to attack our community, to attack us individually and corporately. Uh, and it allows for an opportunity for division to be sowed into the community. So again, in community, what is more important? Is it restoration or is it retribution? Because Lynn could easily come to me and go, hey, you messed up my wall. I just kicked your motorcycle over in the parking lot. <laughs> Joke's on you, right? But is that going to get us anywhere? It's not going to get us anywhere. It's just going to cause that pain and that anguish to continue to build and to boil over. And ultimately, it can affect the congregation and the unity of the community. So we go forward to Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This is what is often called the Lord's Prayer. Uh, it says, Therefore, pray in this way. Our Father in heaven, sanctified be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And here is the kicker. 
and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lord, forgive me as I have forgiven others. Now imagine if God truly only forgave us in the same way we forgive others. Imagine if he only forgave us insofar as we have forgiven others. What are we going to end up with? What kind of walk and relationship with the Lord are we going to have? Because if we're honest about it, we're all humans. I guarantee there is somebody in your life that you never forgave for something. It may be from your childhood. It may be from last week. It could be from this morning. They didn't leave coffee in the coffee pot, and you had nothing to drink this morning, and you came to synagogue dead tired because there was no coffee for you. Coffee's an important part of my life. If you haven't figured out, that's why that's always a narrative. No, uh, it, it may be something goofy like that, but the reality is, is we all have something that we are not forgiving others for, and we constantly approach the Lord for repentance while at the same time not extending the forgiveness he has given us to others. And then he carries on, verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And what nobody likes to, everybody loves to quote that, that, say, that prayer, right? We love to, to you know, this is how Yeshua says we're supposed to pray. This is a model for our prayer. This is what it's supposed to look like. But nobody likes to continue on to the next verse. Because verse 14, which is technically after his model of prayer he set up for us, but it's contextually a part of the same thing. And if you pay attention, this whole chapter is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. So if we look at verse 14, it says, For if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your transgressions. And I want you to keep this in mind. When we don't extend the forgiveness God has given us to other people, not only are we creating and allowing for barriers and disunity to exist, but we're actually furthering the sin that's going. Because now not only are we angry, but we're causing division, which then makes it even worse. And so whereas we are not forgiving others while we're asking God to forgive us, we're not extending that forgiveness to others, our transgressions continue to compound and compile upon each other. Matthew 6, 9 through 13, as I said a moment ago, is often called the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer, although Yeshua's prayer is really found in John, not here in, in John 16, 17, where he's talking about unity, and he's in the Garden of Gethsemane before being uh, put on the cross and so on. But nonetheless, this is often called the Lord's Prayer. Um, and if you pay attention to what Yeshua is saying here, it can really be eye-opening. Notice how in this lesson on formulating prayer and our conversation, our communication with the Lord, he specifically says, as I said a moment ago, forgive us as we have forgiven given others and then he continues on in verse 14 to bring that same idea up again and the reality is as i said we completely overlook this over and over and over again but it very blatantly says for if you forgive others their transgressions your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others neither will your father forgive your transgressions notice how there is a direct connection that yeshua is making to the forgiveness that we have received from him and that which we are to extend to our brothers and sisters, especially those in our communities. We seek the Father for forgiveness for our sins, for our wrongs against Him, yet so often we hold on to all of the wrongs that others have caused us. We struggle to forgive, to let go, to move on. We struggle to see the image in which they are created and which we are created in other people. We struggle to look past the pains we've experienced in our uh, own lives in order to see the freedom and power found in forgiveness and ultimately restoration. Even more so, we end up allowing the enemy ground in our lives and allowing him to hinder our walk and our discipleship because we refuse to break the chains of bondage of unforgiveness 
And we refuse to allow restoration to occur in our relationships. And this is something that can entirely and completely taint our communities, our congregations. It's not just a matter of me and Lynn having words with each other. It's not just a matter of me and Lynn getting angry at each other. But it's something that can affect everything around us. Um, those of you that are married, uh, those of you that have been in relationships dating somebody before, you ever notice how when you are leaving the house to go to work in the morning, but you leave the house angry at your spouse or your significant other? You get to work, and it's amazing how it drastically impacts the rest of your day. And it impacts the way you relate with other people at work, and it impacts how effective you can be, and it impacts how uh, uh, productive you are because you're constantly thinking about how angry you are or how mad you are or what was done or what wasn't done or what wasn't uh, handled the right way. But if we were just so quick to forgive as we are to get angry, if we were so quick to ask for forgiveness and to make restoration as we are to get angry, how much more effective could we be not just in our jobs, but in our lives, and more importantly, within the context of the body of Messiah and seeing unity? Sadly, often we want nothing more than to see the person who wronged us get what they deserve, or we desire personally to give them what they deserve. We're looking for retribution. Somebody wronged me. Somebody hurt me. And we're looking for retribution. But in the community of God, what's more important? Restoration or retribution? We go on again to Matthew 18, verse 15 says, Now if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. While you're with him alone, if he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen... Take with you one or two more so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may stand. But if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to Messiah's community. And if he still refuses to listen, even to Messiah's community, let him be to you as a pagan and a tax collector. Here in Matthew 18, we see Yeshua, uh, Yeshua's heart for restoration in the community, in the body of Messiah. Remember, the work of Messiah was for the purpose of restoration between mankind and Adonai. How much more so does he desire for us to walk in restoration with one another in the context of the body of Messiah, and even more so with those in the world around us so that they see the love, the mercy, the grace, and the forgiveness of Messiah in our lives? How much more so does he desire us to walk in restoration with each other so many, so many congregations have been destroyed because of strife, because of pain, because of anger, because of wrongdoings that uh, go on between individuals and they get their feelings hurt and allow it to fester and to boil over. So many congregational divides and splits have occurred. So many uh, families have been broken down. So many relationships have been completely marred. Denominations have split, often over things that could have easily been dealt with if we had simply looked at each other through the eyes of Messiah. And simply walked in forgiveness and restoration that Messiah has so graciously provided for us. But the reality is, is we are so worried about getting retribution. Or even worse, how many times has somebody wronged us and we think it's their obligation to come seek our forgiveness first? How much ground could be made up if we're the ones that are wronged, approaching the one that wronged us and said, look, here's what you did. We both know it hurt me. I just want you to know I love you, I forgive you, and I want to move on. We wait for other people to come seek our forgiveness, ignoring the fact that we are also angry about what has been done. And we perpetuate the wrong that is occurring. And in the same sense, we have an obligation to take that first step, especially 
if the other party isn't. So many congregations, as I said, have been destroyed by all of these different things, have been broken apart, denominations and families destroyed, and so on and so forth. So many of us walk with resentment and unforgiveness in our hearts towards other believers because we just haven't quite been willing to let it go. To go to them and prayerfully talk it out as brothers and sisters in Messiah. Remember the body of Messiah and especially the local community. We are to be a family, a mishpacha. Every family has a host of what I call characters, right? As a matter of fact, Paul deals with this. Paul says, take every measure to not to love each other, not to be kind to each other, not to be best friends, but take every measure to put up with each other in the Lord so that you can be in unity. I'm paraphrasing it. But he says, take every measure to put up with each other. Right? Because we're not going to be in sync step by step with every single person in our congregation. But we still have to be in unity. Not all of you are going to like my personality. I'm willing to bet most of you have realized that. Um, Not all of you are going to like my personality. Not all of you are going to like the way I do things. And vice versa. But the reality is, is that we have to get beyond that and work together for the unity of the community of God. The same is true for the greater body of Messiah. It's not Messianic Judaism versus the world. There's one bride of Messiah. And we're a bunch of idiots thinking that having thousands of denominations is going to fix all the problems that we see. And that if we just stay our separate congregations, our separate communities, our separate denominations, everything will be okay. He's not coming back for the Messianic Jewish bride and the Assembly of God bride and the Southern Baptist bride and the primitive baptist bride and the united methodist bride he's coming back for the bride the bride i said that the real prayer of messiah in the garden is in john and in john that is his heart as he prays that those who come to faith through the message of the disciples be united would be one as he and the father are one so that the world will know who sent him Every family has a host of characters. Every, every family has their differences. Every family has their issues. But what makes a family strong and unbreakable is when they can look past the flaws, when they can work through the hurts, when they can allow the Ruach HaKodesh to be the bond that securely holds us together. It is important to add that, obviously, there are sometimes grounds in which restoration isn't possible. And there must be a separation. Yeshua talks about this in Matthew 18. You go to the person in private. If that doesn't fix it, you bring a couple of people with you. If that doesn't fix it, you go to the congregation. The congregation tries to deal with it. And if that still doesn't fix it, then sometimes you just have to separate people off. But that doesn't mean you walk in unforgiveness still because of it. You still have to forgive them. And you still have to walk faithfully. And here's the key with this. Notice that there are two things that are really important, uh, that are really importantly not seen here. First and foremost, the cause of the lack of separation is a heart issue, right? He says if you approach them and it doesn't fix it, if the elders approach them and it doesn't fix it, if the congregation approaches them and it doesn't fix it, and they still are walking wrong, then you have to separate them off. The reason we do that is because of the heart. It's a pride thing. We don't want to admit we're wrong. We don't want to admit that we were at fault. And the other is nowhere in this does Yeshua say to go and speak Lashon Hara or gossip or evil speak against them. There must always be a door left open for the potential 
for future restoration. And Lashon Hara, having been sown into the community, will not pave that way. If we have to have somebody separate from our congregation, then it's not our right to go and speak Lashon Hara, evil speak, evil tongue, gossip, and slander about them around the congregation and with other people outside of the congregation because all that does is it creates a further barrier, a thicker wall, and, 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 and worse bondage that doesn't allow for that person to ultimately be restored into the community if that is, in fact, God's will for them to do. Restoration is the key to a healthy community. And notice I say restoration is the key to a healthy community, right? Not specifically living righteous and holy lives is the key to a holy community. That is a part of it. But the key to a healthy community is always restoration. Why? Because we're all idiots. And we're all going to hurt people's feelings. And we're all going to make mistakes. And we're all going to sin and fall short of the glory of God. And so restoration is always a key to a healthy community. And it's actually the start to almost all the rest of it. Restoration is the key to a faith-filled walk. Restoration is the key to walking in humility together, to uplifting one another, to building each other up. Restoration is the key to emulating Messiah Yeshua. So again, I ask in community, what is the most important reality, restoration or retribution? I want to ask our worship team to go ahead and make their way up as we begin to close the message this morning. Uh, I've, I've said it several times now, but I want to repeat it again. In community, what's more important? Is it restoration or retribution? Unfortunately, far too often in the body of Messiah, we are so focused on retribution that we lose sight of the reality that is so much, there's so much more in store spiritually when we are united and we focus on restoration we focus on forgiveness. We focus on sharing the grace and the mercy that Yeshua has shared with us, with the world around us. We so focus on making sure the person that wronged us gets what they deserve. We're so focused on holding on to our hurts and requiring the other person to approach us first to ask for forgiveness that we continue to allow for the enemy to have ground in our lives and to ultimately sow division and disunity into our community, into our congregation, into our families, into our lives, into our jobs, into anything and everything that we're a part of. And as followers of Messiah, we have an obligation to chase after the heart of God for restoration and unity first and foremost. Because just as much as you and I are absolutely idiots and are going to hurt people's feelings, Everyone else around us is an idiot too and is going to hurt our feelings. And so we must constantly be seeking for restoration because the key to having a healthy community is that we are able to be walking in the restoration of Messiah Yeshua in everything that we do. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, we thank you that you are a gracious and loving God. We thank you that you are a forgiving God who uh, has compassion and mercy upon us, who yearns for nothing more than for us to be restored in unity with you and likewise for us to be restored in unity with our community. Father, I pray that you will uh, encourage us as individuals to seek out that restoration, to seek out forgiveness, not only of those that we have wronged, but of those who have wronged us. 
Father, I pray for you to strengthen our mishpacha, our family here at Congregation Maim Chaim. I pray that you strengthen our individual and independent families within this community, that you will draw husband and wife closer together, parents and children closer together, grandparents and grandchildren closer together, siblings closer together. Father, that our ministry teams will be drawn closer together, uh, that our leadership will draw closer together, that everything that we do will be for the purpose of seeing the fullness of your restoration in our our community so that we can live as an example of Messiah Yeshua's provision of restoration for our lives to the world around us. Father, make us whole. Make us one. Make us echad. Make us amechad, one people, so that we can glorify your holy name above all else. Father, teach us to forgive others with the forgiveness, the love, and the compassion of Messiah as we yearn for your forgiveness. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. And everyone says, Amen and Amen.